So we are talking about, and we've been talking about what that means for us here uh, to be people that carry that aroma, right? People that carry the presence of God. If we host the presence of God in our lives, which Jesus says, the spirit of Christ has come to dwell within us, right? Uh, we read this, this language in Paul, the spirit of Christ has come to dwell within us, we've made him Lord, uh, then we carry the presence of God with us. We are redeemed image bearers of God who carry the presence of God. That is what it means to be a Christian. Here's what it doesn't mean to be a Christian. I'm gonna to try to live a good life. But for a lot of people, when they, when they can feel the presence of God drawing them, they don't know what it means to follow him unless someone tells them. How will they know unless someone tells them and how will they tell them unless they're sent, right? The, the language of Acts. So here's the key. For a lot of people, they feel the drawing of God and all they need to do with it is say, well, maybe I should go to church or maybe I should try to live better. But how many of you know, like, there's no life in that? Because when you become a Christian, your life does change. But the changing, what becomes better on the outside in terms of good works or whatever, that's all happening as a byproduct of the relationship that is happening on the inside. If you try to do the good works without the relationship, listen, you might get kind of holy on the outside, but you will be mean. How many of you know holy, mean people? <laughs> Come on. Right? That's me making it happen. And part of the reason why I'm so mean on the outside is I'm mad I'm having to work so hard. And look at how you're living. Which tells me I'm taking no joy in the righteousness of Christ. And my faith is in my own works. To be good enough, how many, come on, how many of you, you know what I'm talking about? What happens is, I actually, in salvation, we talked about this last week, salvation is I actually surrender to God and say, I actually can't do it. I actually can't. Like, you are so holy. What is, what is good is so far beyond my reach, I actually can't. And so I'm going to throw myself on your mercy. And say, come, forgive me my sins. You are Lord, I am not. My life is yours. I'm going to trade your life for my life. And now I'm going to follow you. And out of that surrender and relationship, now we have the power to live a holy life. It's the natural byproduct of the relationship. How you doing? Because it got super quiet and we're not to the hard stuff yet. So <laughs> here we go. So I want to deal today with an aspect, because what we're talking about, we've been talking about really over the summer, is if this idea, we've been experiencing more and more of the presence of God, and if our cry is more Lord, then how do we increase our capacity to have more of him? Right? If we're experiencing the presence of God and we're saying this is so good, how do we have more of that? Well, how do we increase our capacity to have more? And the answer is to partner with him in what he's doing. Right? It's not let's have longer services, let's all hang out in the church more, which that can happen. It's just how you increase your capacity is he touches you and then you go do something with it. Right? You experience him. On the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they immediately left the room and preached the gospel. They weren't like, oh, how long could we sit here? How long have we rented the room for? Let's just sit here forever and ever and ever and just say more, Lord. No, they were like, we've experienced something amazing. Let's go out and tell somebody about it. 
Partnering with him increases your capacity to receive more. Because guess what? You go out into the world with the presence of God, and you're going to experience amazing things and terrible things. And you will be convinced you need more of him, <laughs> right? I mean, you'll come running back to him real fast to be like, oh, I need more than what I got because this is a big job. Yeah? Okay. Oh, and I looked at the book. I remember the quote, but I couldn't remember the book from William Faulkner. It was As I Lay Dying from last week. This is the quote in this William Faulkner book, As I Lay Dying. He said, these two women are praying, and the lady who's sick, her name's Cora, she's getting prayed for, but she has more faith than the woman praying for her. And in her mind, this is what she's thinking. People to whom sin is just a matter of words, to them salvation is just words too. To people to whom their sin is just a matter of words, to them salvation is just words too. Because what happens when you have that veil that the strongest talk about removed from your eyes, you become aware of your need. You start to realize, my sin's a big deal, actually. You become convicted of sin in your life, and you realize how good the good news is. You mean Jesus dealt with this? I can receive cleansing from all that I've done, I can have a clean slate. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you realize the magnitude of your sin, you become really thankful for salvation. We can't just bypass the sin issue and be like, hey, God's so good, he's going to give you your best life now. Because then, serving Jesus is all about, Jesus will give me all the stuff I want. Which is a very American consumer view of Jesus right now. And what Jesus says, when people say, hey, I want to follow you, what does he say? Oh, cool, I want to give you your best life now. <laughs> what are all the things you want? Because I'm going to give them to you. That's what it means to follow me. What does he say? Oh, you do? Okay, sell everything you have. And then come back and talk to me. That's what he says to the rich young ruler, because what he loves is his stuff. Other people say, we're going to follow you to the end. Okay, well, I'm taking up my cross and going to that hill. And in that culture, if you were taking up your cross, you were only doing one thing with it, you were dying on it, right? So, I mean, Jesus, he had the worst follow-up program ever in church history, right? Like, the worst. I'd like to follow you, Jesus. Okay, how hard are you willing to let your life get? That was his pitch. But when you've recognized your desperate need, then you realize it's good news. I'll go anywhere with you. As long as you're there, I'll go with you. And we're not going to go anywhere unless you go before us, like Israel says, right? We're not, because I've realized you're the key. Your presence in my life is what I need. You covering me in your righteousness is what I need. So wherever you're going, if that's up to the cross, then I'm going with you. How are you doing? Okay, because it gets real quiet. Because it gets real quiet. Okay. So I want to deal specifically with a really, um, just the time we have. It's a little bit shorter today because I knew we had the song. So I just want to deal really quickly with um, John chapter 3. As we think about sharing the good news with people, this is a really important concept we need to get. John chapter 3, and specifically the verses, we're going to read through it, but specifically the verses that say, the wind blows where it wants, just as you can hear it, but you can't see where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. There is a mystical sense to salvation, right? Because you can like, it's not just like checking the boxes. I came forward, I repeated a prayer, I, that's not it. Something happens. You can hear the good news, 
and nothing happens. But when the Spirit moves upon you, when the Father is drawing you and the Holy Spirit is moving, now you have a choice. I can position my heart toward that and all of a sudden that veil gets removed and I get how good he is. Or I can say, man, I sense the presence of God. This is weird. I don't feel in control. Shut it down. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But there's that moment where the Spirit is moving and you've got to make a decision that you're going to move toward him or you're going to shut it down. How many of you have had, maybe not even in salvation, but you've had the Spirit draw you, you could feel the Spirit was drawing you to something, and you were like, mm-mm. For whatever reason, you were like, uh-uh, shut that down. How many of you would say, you've had that moment where you were like, mm-mm, mm-mm. And how many of you have recognized when you shut it down, you can almost feel a loss, like... You can almost feel like, oh man, I don't know if my heart can get soft again. You can feel the hardness of heart kind of take over you when you resist the Holy Spirit in that way. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You, okay, half of us. The rest of you are always like, no, every time I say yes, Lord, whatever, whatever you're saying, yes, Lord. John chapter three. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So what's happening between, between Jesus and the religious leaders right now? And the religious leaders are angry with him. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to they're play all kinds of word games with him. They don't like Jesus, many of them. The ones who are vocal don't like Jesus. So here comes Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, and he's coming to Jesus. So already we know the story, the setup, Right? Is he one of those? He was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Why does he come after dark? Jesus, we're keeping this in the down low, the fact that we're hanging out. <laughs> um, I have some questions, but I'm not sure if I want to go there yet. Come on. There's a reason why John includes this information. He came after dark <laughs> to see Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So Nicodemus, he's leaning towards belief, right? But he's not there yet, which is why it's coming after dark. <laughs> Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to challenge him quite a bit, Right? If he came in the daylight, he might have had a nicer conversation, but he came in the dark, so Jesus is going to prod him a bit. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How could an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Ouch. Speaking as the mother. <laughs> Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Right? So water is the natural birth. You've ever been in a birth? And then there's a spirit. So yes, you're born of your mother, but there's a whole different kind of being born again that your spirit needs. Your spirit is dead and it's sin and trespasses. So born of water and born of the spirit, both these things must, be happen, must happen. You must be born again. Humans can reproduce only human life. That's the water. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. 
So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony, right? Or you wouldn't have come after dark. But if you don't believe in me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven, right? You can't go up and get this information. So I came from heaven to you with heaven. Because <laughs> you can't go there and get this. So I have brought it to you. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Right? The Israelites got healing when they saw that snake on the pole that Moses lifted. And that snake on the pole was a symbol of Jesus. The snake, sin, the pole, the cross. And so Jesus is saying, I will be lifted up. He's prophesying about his crucifixion. And you'll have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Right? So the idea is believe and be saved. Judgment comes later, right? You believe, and there's no judgment. So we would think, for God to love the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish to everlasting life. Okay, great. You're here. Everything's going to be fine now, right? No. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. This is crucial. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their deeds are evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. So Jesus said, hey, I have come from heaven into the world. I brought my kingdom with me. You couldn't go get heaven. I brought it to you. And some will receive it. But for many, they come in contact with the light. And they're not like, oh, thank you. The light exposes what's wrong. And rather than when they're convicted of sin, saying, oh, thank you, God, I'm throwing myself on, my, on your mercy, they respond with arrogance. How dare you expose my sin? And they hate the light. What was our problem way back in the Garden of Eden that started it all? Pride, arrogance. I will be my own God. What is the temptation? If you eat of the tree, you will know good and evil like God. That's what she was tempted with. That's what Adam was tempted with. You know what? How much do we need God? We can know good and evil for ourselves. We'll be our own God. Don't we still struggle with that all the time? We'll decide what's right and wrong, God. So people come in contact with the light, and some respond and believe and embrace him. But others 
love the darkness and they hate the light. And when they get exposed to the light, they get angry. They get upset. Um, when we first came um, to the church, back when it was like a little tiny, little tiny, con almost condemned building, it got condemned after we moved um, in Michigan Center with uh, Ben. Ben was there, mushrooms growing through the carpet. Um, way, way, way back. I think there was, at this point, there was like maybe 20 people coming to church, maybe, I don't know. Um, it was like, take a really low Sunday like today, that's like we've removed chairs and stuff because it's Labor Day weekend, and then divide that by like 10. It was really small. <laughs> I don't know. It was really small. But we had a neighbor, and our neighbor was in, um, was in a relationship. Um, she was in a relationship with, a, with another woman, and um, she came over to meet me. One day I was out in the yard with the dogs, and she said, hey, I heard you're a pastor. Didn't ask my name. Didn't ask, I heard you're a pastor. I said, yeah. And she said, I'm a lesbian. Do you think I'm going to hell? That was like our first conversation. That was it. That was the first two lines. And I said, well, I'm Rachel. <laughs> uh, what's your name? And I said, do you want to come to dinner? Like, this sounds like a dinner conversation, not like a, hey, nice to meet you conversation. Um, so she came over uh, for dinner. <clears throat> and we talked for probably two, three months off and on. And then she started coming to church. And we talked about Romans 10.9, lordship. What does lordship mean? What does belief mean for you? And then lordship mean for you? And she came to church for probably six months. And she would cry through the entire worship service. And she would cry through the entire, she cried the entire time she was there from the time the music started to the altar call. She would cry and cry and cry. Just the Holy Spirit was drawing her. The wind was blowing. <laughs> You can't see, you can hear it, you can't see where it's coming from, where it's going. But in that moment, it was blowing on her. And for six months, she would feel the presence of God. And at the end of that six months, she came over one day and she said, you know what? I just can't make him Lord. I just can't make him Lord. And she didn't come back. And we really talked after that. She had come into the light and she assessed, what will change in my life if I let the light in? This is what Jesus is talking about. But the deeds that weren't consistent with walking with Jesus, she just couldn't give up. And let me tell you, my heart went out to her. It wasn't like, how dare you reject Jesus? I mean, my heart went out to her because I thought, yeah, for you to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you a lot. Right? Where she lived, she was raising her kids in this house. She wasn't the primary breadwinner. She, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it was going to cost her a lot. And I, in the end, she counted the cost, and she said, I just can't follow Jesus. And to this day, I'm believing for the seeds that were planted to bear fruit. But I mean, it, was, it wasn't like, a, how dare you reject Jesus? My heart went out to her, like, I get it. Like, but eternity, like, you have to trust that he will walk out every tough step with you. That what he has for you in living in his presence is better than anything this world has to offer. But this is what Jesus is talking about. We tend to want to judge someone's sin, right? But what we need to do is keep cheering for them. We need to keep hosting the presence well. Because I'm telling you, like, she got exposed to light in a way that made it hard for her to stay where she was. And I'm believing for that to bear fruit in the future, even if it couldn't in that moment, just because of the things that, that were weighing her down. Do you see what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit can draw you, but then you make a decision. But let me tell you, you're never coming if he's not drawing. 
There are those moments you can feel. Even as a believer, there are moments that you can feel that, that God is saying, hey, you, come further up and come further in. Can't stay where you're at. You've got to keep moving. How many of you I'm talking about? And you make a decision to, be, to dig your heels in or you move with him. But you've got to make a decision. When the wind is blowing, whew, you need to go where it wants to take you. Are you you're good? Okay. I want to um, share with you, just quickly, um, a testimony. Um, if you've got the two pictures of the, the ladies, the first one, go to the second one. Many of you will recognize Kirsten Powers. She's an analyst on CNN, I think now. Um, she's been on different news networks. Um, but she has a testimony. We won't have time to read it. I wanted to read part of it to you, but we won't have time for it today. Um, but you can go look it up. If you look up Kirsten Powers' conversion, um, you'll hear her testimony. She grew up atheist. She did not believe. And she kind of liked this guy who was going to church. And he was like, hey, will you go to church with me? They're in Manhattan. They're big power people on TV doing stuff. Um, but he was a believer, and he went to Tim Keller's church in Manhattan. Dude, come on. Um, he's amazing. Um, so she's like, sure. So she goes to Redeemer um, Presbyterian Church with, with, um, with him. And um, she was like, she, the service, the songs, or whatever, she was like, this is weird. And they're Presbyterian. Can you if she came to our church? She'd be like, oh, my word. Um, she couldn't handle the Presbyterians. Um, but then Tim Keller got up to speak, and he was so compelling as he shared the word that she came back. And she came back uh, for months and months and months. And um, this guy finally said, listen, he said, um, do, you, do you believe Jesus, that he's Lord? And is he your Lord? And she was like, ah, yeah. Like, I like the sermons. I like the parts that aren't about Jesus. <laughs> about being a good, you know, um, until he brings Jesus in at the end. I like the sermons. Um, but she said, no. And she had to go, I think it was to Hong Kong. She had to go to a, they were filming somewhere else, something else, where she was covering it um, for the news, and, uh, or a news cycle. And um, she woke up. And she said it was like the entire world had shifted. She woke up, and all of a sudden, all she could feel was the presence of God. Where before she'd be getting information about God, but she was like, mm. she's like, everywhere I looked, there he was. She said, I thought I was going crazy. And at first she resisted it. She was like, I can't. Oh, my parents say it. They think I'm not an atheist. Like, she said, I thought Christians were weird people. Like, but all of a sudden, like, there he is everywhere. And it, like, something happened in that moment. He had challenged her and he's like, listen, we can't date. Like, we can't go any further in our relationship in terms of friendship to dating because this is a deal breaker for me. And something about him challenging her to really examine whether Jesus could, she could be Lord, um, she woke up the next day and all of a sudden all she could feel was the presence of God. He was everywhere. And it's, if you read her story, it's amazing. She couldn't get away from it. She calls it the hound of heaven, which C.S. Lewis called that too. The, it was like he was after her and it's like she couldn't, she, she was in the matrix and she took the pill and she couldn't unsee what she'd see. You know what I'm saying? He's everywhere. What happened? She was accumulating information, then the wind blew in. And then she couldn't deny it. This is for real. Now listen, her boyfriend couldn't make, and they never got together. That was the end of their relationship. But her, her friend, who 
would-be boyfriend could make the wind blow. He could bring her into places where she could experience God, but it wasn't his job to make it happen. It wasn't his job to be so compelling she couldn't say no. It wasn't his job to control her. It wasn't his job to do any of those things except host the presence of God well and lead people to where they could drink. That's it. That's it. And then one day the Holy Spirit blew in and she couldn't deny it. She got saved and um, she told her parents about it and they wanted to take her to therapy. That's for real. Um, One more story I want to tell you about. Um, This woman, her name is uh, Rosaria Butterfield. And if you like to read, man, you should read. She's amazing. Either read her story that she's written. You can find her on the internet. She's written books as well. Um, But she was a tenured professor at Syracuse University. And she taught women's and queer studies. (laughs) Um, She was a lesbian and a lesbian relationship and a partnership. She'd been in partnership long long term. Um, And she's she's very pivotal in the LGBTQ movement. Um, for, for rights. Um, she wrote an article for the paper, um, for the local paper, and she began to get responses. And it had to do with like Christians and social things and whatever, rights, LGBTQ rights. I'm not meaning to like harp on LGBTQ stuff because how many of you know like the sin under all the sin is unbelief and not receiving him. It doesn't matter what the I'm not trying to harp one thing, it's just her story. So um, anyway, so she writes this article and she begins to get responses. And so on, on, at her desk where she writes, she had two boxes. One was for hate mail from Christians. Wah, wah, wah. Holy but mean. And one response was like, yeah, go for it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> she got one letter she couldn't put in either box. It was from a local pastor and he just asked her questions like, I read your article, you know, I come from a different perspective, and I have just some questions for you, like, why do you believe that? And what's led you to, like, really wanting to engage her in a conversation and understand what she thought and why she thought those things. And at first she threw the letter away, but she couldn't get it out of her mind, so she thought, well, I'll just respond. Well, he and his wife invite her over for dinner. And over the course of two years, they have dinners on again, off again, and he challenges her to read the Bible. Just why don't you read it? Like, how can you state these things when you've never actually even read the Bible? Why don't you just read it? So she read the Bible, and, and these are her words. She, um, she says, something else happened. Ken and his wife, Flory, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate and vulnerable. He repented of his sins in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Flory did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be friends. She wasn't his project. Now, for some people, inviting them to church is a good thing, right? It was good for Kirsten Powers, but they were following the lead of the Holy Spirit. He challenged her to read the Bible. She says, I started reading the Bible. I read the way that a starving person, re- a starving person eats. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations. At a dinner gathering, my partner and I were hosting. My transgendered friend, Jay, cornered me in the kitchen. 
She put her large hand over mine and said, the Bible reading is changing you, Rosaria, she warned. With tremors, I whispered, Jay, what if it's true? What if Jesus is the risen Lord? What if we're all in trouble? Jay exhaled deeply, Rosaria, she said, I was a Presbyterian minister for 15 years. I prayed that God would heal me, but he didn't. If you want, I will pray for you. I love her whole story, but so interesting that this person who didn't get the thing they wanted was like, then God, I, I'm not going to follow you, but still believed enough to say, I can pray for you, right? If you have a consumer view of Christianity, God is here to give me what I want and do what I need him to do, you are going to come to a crucible you won't make it through. But if you realize I need you and there's no one but you who can heal me, who can restore me, who can be life to me, then you're not leaving. If you get on a plane, this is not my example, this is somebody else's, but if you get on a plane and midway through the trip, a stewardess comes to you and says, hey, listen, I have a parachute. You can put it on. People will think you're cool. It'll be so comfortable. You'll love it. Um, after five minutes of people laughing at you and whatever, you're going to take that parachute off. It did not make you more comfortable. People laughed at you. They did not think you were cool, right? It didn't seem to improve your life at all. If you're halfway through a flight and the stewardess comes to you and says, hey, we're going down. There's only three parachutes on the plane. This is one of them. Don't take it off. Guess what? No matter who laughs at you, <laughs> no matter who laughs at you, you got your parachute on. You don't have the parachute on because that parachute owes you a better life. You have that parachute on because you realize the dire situation you're in. And someone has given you a parachute. You, you hear what I'm saying? In both of these circumstances, with Rosaria, with Kirsten, same thing happened, right? They're hearing about God, they're reading about God, but at a moment, I can't finish Rosaria's story, but she ends up getting saved, and it costs her. It costs her everything. But she ends up getting saved because the word became alive to her. She had talked about scripture, she had talked about Christians, she had information, but at some point the wind blew, and she was like, oh my goodness, I think this is true. And she allowed herself to believe and then to surrender herself to his lordship. Listen, this is crucial. As we talk about partnering with Jesus and sharing our faith, you've got to understand this crucial part of being saved. We don't control it. We don't control it. And unless you get that, sharing your faith feels like a heavy burden, something you need to make happen. When really, all we're doing is we're hosting the presence of God and we're saying, hey, he's good. You can have some of this. He's good. Really quickly, if you've got the circles, the first circle. Okay. If you envision this, this is like heaven is blue and earth is dingy gray, right? So when God made the world, what happens? There's no separation between his presence, heaven, earth. It's together, right? Adam and Eve walk and talk with God. There's no separation between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. 
Adam and Eve sin, and sin enters the world, and everything breaks through the fall, right? All the relationships break. Our relationship to the earth breaks. Now work is hard. Sickness and death enter the world through sin, right? And so now the world is in this terrible condition and separated from heaven, separated from the spiritual, right? God speaks to different individuals, but his solution was, hey, Build for me a tabernacle. Build for me a temple, and I will dwell in that place. And so what do we see in the Old Testament? People would come to the temple. So if we have interlapping, see where it overlaps between heaven and earth? There was this little sliver where you could come to the temple. You could come to the tabernacle. You could experience the presence of God, right? Remember the veil that tore when Jesus was crucified? It tore because the presence of God was no longer going to just be in the temple in this little sliver, because what happened? Even like think about Moses when he's leading the people of Israel, as they're rebelling, what happens? He's like, I'm just gonna go live in the tabernacle, man. I'm just gonna go live where the presence is because you people are whacked out, right? I used to go be where the presence is and that's where you had to find it, in the tabernacle. When Jesus comes to earth, what does he say? Literally, he says that he came in flesh and tabernacled with us. So now the tabernacle is not just a place you have to go to to experience the presence of God. Now Jesus came and was the tabernacle and he is outside of the little sliver. And everywhere he went, here's the presence of God. Here's the glory of God. Here's the tabernacle of God. The aroma got out of the temple, right? And everywhere he went, here heaven and earth are kissing. Heaven and earth are meeting. Everywhere he went, everywhere he went. And he taught us to pray. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And everywhere he's going, he's carrying the presence of God. And then what happens? He dies on the cross. The veil is torn. The presence of God now. Who's the temple of the Holy Spirit now? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so now we're in the world and everywhere we go as we host the presence of God, what happens? Glory of God. Glory of God. Presence of God. And people actually get to see the goodness of God when we host his presence well. And for some of those people, they're going to shut themselves off to it. You can't control that. But for others, when the wind blows, they're going to be like, what must I do to be saved? If anybody will show them, if anybody will guide them, they will make Jesus Lord. There are people who you don't need to teach any theology to. They're ready to get saved right then. Now, you want to make sure that they get discipled and get grounded, but... They're ready. They're like, whatever you're carrying, I know I've needed for my whole life. Whatever it is, just tell me and here we go. Come on. The wind blows and they're ready. They're ready to respond. They want the glory of God. And that shows us the great responsibility that we have to host his presence well. We don't have time to live for lesser things. We don't have time to live with fractured relationship with God to where all people see is people that are holy and mean because they're outside, they're not living in a relationship. They're just following rules. How many of you are with me? They need people who are hosting the presence of God in a world that is sick and dying and in need of him. Matthew 28, 16 through 18. This is the last chapter in Matthew. Right after this, Jesus ascends. Here's what it says. Then the 11 disciples. So these are the disciples minus Judas because he's gone now, Right? Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. This is after all of his ministry. He's about to ascend to heaven, and still his own disciples. Some believe, some doubt. 
you can't control people. But when the wind blows, we need to be able to expose them to the presence of God. We need to know the power of what we carry. If you would stand, worship team, if you would come. God is good. God is good. And he's calling us further up and further in. It's not enough for us just to experience the presence of God and for us to have it. We need to take it with us till his glory covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Amen. Amen. What he has placed in you is powerful. If you're a believer in this room, he has given you the kingdom without measure. And you might be in a place where you're like, man, I'm not even doing good. I don't even, I got nothing for anybody. Throw yourself on his mercy. See how fast that turns around. And I don't mean the circumstances, because the circumstances could even stay the same, but you're changed. Prayer team, if you come on up. We're going to respond to the Lord in worship. And we've got time, purposely. We left time in the service so we would have time to respond to him. There's going to be people here on this side and that side that can pray with you. People in back and that side and that side that can pray with you. Number one, if you're in this room and you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, maybe you even get goosebumps during worship. You've felt his presence but you've never surrendered to his mercy. You've never actually said, you know what? Your way, not my way. My life is yours. Then I want you to come and get prayer from any of these folks who are here to pray. Or if there's a believer near you, every believer in this room has the kingdom without measure. We all get to play. You can pray with any believer near you. But I want to encourage you, today's the day of salvation. Maybe you're in this room and you're saved. But the wind of the Lord is blowing and you can feel it. He is saying, come on, come further up and come further in. You can feel he's drawing you into more. Respond to him. Come and agree in prayer with somebody. Maybe you're in this place, you're sick in body, you need healing. Healing happens in the house. Come on, come and get prayer. Maybe you've come with needs in your heart or God has stirred some things up during the sermon. Take it to him. Come and agree with someone. Come and receive prayer. Pray with someone near you. But let's let God do the work he wants to do as we worship. Amen.
feel so strong that it's just what more to do than just to surrender um, you are Lord you are Lord God you are Lord God you are Lord God Thank you. Um, just this week I was just um, praying and um, I feel like sometimes we're like oh we had this amazing service we had all this great stuff and what's the secret what's the recipe right <laughs> And um, I just felt God say that it's never, it's never not going to be your heart tuned and turned to Him. It's never going to look like a certain way. It's always going to be our hearts just completely surrendered to Him. That's what it will always look like. And how many know we can't put God in a box, right? So um, I, just, I just feel strongly just, um, just to take this time. What is the Lord saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying? What is He doing? Um, he wants to meet with you. He loves you so much that he'll stop everything just to talk to you. He loves you so much. He paid everything for you. And so what more than just to lay down our lives. God, you just have, you just take our hearts, God. And um, when we surrender, um, he's kind. He's a good father. So when we surrender, it's going to be good. <laughs> You're going to get so much more. <laughs> in return and just but it's that surrendering that's that's what it's always going to look like and so um, as we sing this next song we just tune your heart just open it up to him let him come close he's good he's good 
Uh, we started to sing the song a little bit uh, last week, so we're going to teach you the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, let's just tune our hearts to him. Says, I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up, to the morning lay my head down, I will sing of the goodness of God. Yes, all my life. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life. All my life you have been so, so good. With every Goodness of God. 
to the front, get prayer. We got time today. We're just going to spend it in his presence. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you,
there's still time to get prayer if you want to. For those that have to go, I'd like to pray with you. Could you just turn to someone you didn't come to church with today and say, God is good. God is good. God is good. <laughs> so good. He's so good. We cannot exaggerate his goodness. He's so good. He's so good. Who knew? Who knew our best life now has nothing to do with our circumstances? Our best life now has to do with his presence. Amen. He's so good. There's still time to get prayer. We'll continue in this song of worship, but if you've got to go, let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever, forever. We'll continue to worship. If you've got to go, encourage somebody before you go. Hug somebody you don't know. Amen. Let's leave encouraged. Amen.